Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I am sitting here, and I am talking to Jason Ellis, and, uh, Jason, would you like to uh, go ahead and introduce yourself for everyone listening? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Jason Ellis. I'm one of the owners of Lost Pines Yopon Tea. Um, we're based in uh, Central Texas. Um, we make tea from the native Texas Yopon holly, which uh, is abundant here. Uh, some would say invasive, even though it's native. So it's technically not invasive, but yeah, the, we make tea out of Yopon. It's all forged. Um, it's all regenerative agriculture. That's what I do with most of my day. So, okay. Yopon comes from Holly. It contains caffeine. Yeah. What else about it? Like, uh, what's the history of it at some point in, um, in history? Did it, I mean, did it have a long lineage? Was there, uh, an indigenous usage to it. I, I have so many questions, but maybe we can just kind of touch touch base on that and start with that. Uh, sure. Yeah. So Yopon is an ancient drink. Uh, Native Americans drank it uh, way before uh, uh, Europeans showed up here. Um, it was it grows all along the Gulf Coast uh, from Texas uh, all the way through Florida. It hugs the coast. Um, I'm guessing. Uh, all along the way where it doesn't get below zero Fahrenheit. I'm not sure exactly the temperature that kills Yopon, but along the Gulf Coast and then up the Atlantic coast to Virginia. Um, and it was traded uh, all the way up uh, to Cahokia. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yep, yep. In St. Louis. Um, 
and then all the way, you know, they found the chemical markers of Yopon as far west as uh, Arizona in uh, pottery, uh, which is actually interesting. It also had uh, traces of cacao in it. Also, it wasn't just Yopon, but Yopon and cacao, That's which comes from a really from a really long, long way away. That, um, that is super interesting, though. Like the the dynamic of that. So now you're like mixing caffeine along with this like euphoric buzz from the coca leaves as well. I mean, that's just... No, cacao. Oh, not, oh cacao. Okay. Because I was like, coca leaves, that's like... <laughs> now you get you get the caffeine buzz and the buzz from the other. Man, that had to have been quite the euphoric feeling. But either way, cacao too. I, I'm sure... Uh, th- Cacao's that, got theobromine th- in it. Which is yes. like a little bit of caffeine as well, or a pick-me-up, right? Theobromine is molecularly very, very similar to caffeine. It's just missing a little part of the molecule. It looks almost identical to caffeine. It's not as powerful, but it's a little longer lasting. It's okay. considered the pleasure molecule in, in chocolate. It's what makes people happy, apparently, chocolate. Nice. The really dark stuff. Chocolate but, does make me happy. It was very, very important to Native Americans all over the country, not just in the areas where it, you know, it natively grew. That's, that's uh, amazing. It, it kind of puts into perspective how vast and advance these societies that we once thought or were taught throughout history um, maybe weren't as advanced or had different methods, but it turns out, I mean, they had a well-established trade. They had, uh, you know, hunting patterns and routes and just, um, and, you know, makes you wonder about so many other things. And the fact that they find all these in Cahokia, as you mentioned, the ragweed and, and they cultivated it and mass harvested it for something, but we have no idea whether it was for the fibers or something to do with the seeds. And they believe it's something to do with the seeds, but we don't actually know what it was used for. It's just, it blows my mind that maybe all these civilizations and aren't, were way more advanced than we ever thought, even like early European civilizations and somewhere along the way we lost something or technology and, yeah. and stuff was totally. lost. It's, it's very fast. Yeah, Cahokia was the largest, the largest uh, city north of uh, Mexico, uh, Mexico City. Yeah, and something that we don't really learn about. No, no, not really. Um, you tend to learn about the way latter stuff, uh, European presence. Um, but I always find that stuff fascinating. Um, so the Yopan or Yopan, it's pronounced Yopan, right? It comes from a Catawban word. Um, it means little tree. Yope apparently means tree, and you put on in the end of it, it makes it diminutive. So it's yopon. It means little tree. Okay. So none of us are probably pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, I've, yeah I, I say yopon. Most people yeah. say yopon. I hear people say yopon a lot. Okay. I mean, people ask me how to pronounce it. I say yopon, but I'm, I'm sure there's a and, different way of saying and it. And so... Uh... I wouldn't, that's something in the Midwest that I just wouldn't be able to grow, right? You could container grow it, uh, I'm sure, as I think it can take, I mean, I know it can take temperatures down to zero. We got, when we, you know, got hit by the ice apocalypse here in Texas, yeah. uh, the Yopon was covered in ice. It was, it was fine. It didn't care. Okay. It doesn't care about ice. It doesn't care about drought. I've seen it growing on sand barrier islands along the gulf of mexico where it's just its roots are in salty water and it's getting sprayed with salt water all day long so it it i've seen it growing in fields that are flood flooded for months on end 
it doesn't really as long as it's i think I, i'm not sure what will kill it but i think it's low temperatures about it okay so what are like the unique identifiers if somebody's going to look for it i mean what what makes it stand out as far as the plant itself it's an evergreen so it has year leaves year round uh it has berries because it's a holly plant uh, they start off green. Right now, they're green this time of year. Then they, they'll turn orangish later in the fall. And then during winter, they're bright red. The leaves are oval uh, with serrated edges. Not pointy. Not like uh, people think of hollies as being like really pointy, like that American holly that people use for hedges all the time has really nasty thorns on it. But Yopon is, um, yeah, basically the oval-shaped leaves, um, serrated leaves. Uh, berries the it's not really a doesn't really stand out okay a whole lot except for when it's in you know when it's covered in red berries it's beautiful nice but the rest of the time it just kind of grows like a shrub when you see, people grow it in the south it's one of the top landscaping plants here in uh, central texas because it's so hardy uh, people prune it into all kinds of crazy shapes anything from hedgerows to uh, these little lollipop looking trees but out in the wild, it just grows like a thicket, really, where you'll have one plant, uh, a root ball underground, and you'll have, you know, 10, 15, 20 branches, suckers, whatever, coming out of the ground everywhere. So, And it, it's just the same plant. It almost sounds like it's like a honeysuckle, but uh, actually has a wonderful purpose versus... <laughs> <laughs> Versus honeysuckle. Honeysuckle tastes good. I hate it. <laughs> I remember as a little kid, I loved the honeysuckle. Yeah, but I absolutely hate it. Um, it m Maybe if I knew a greater purpose for it, but other than just the taste and maybe some slight medicinal stuff, to me, it it's such a destructor of other habitat. It just it ruins a it? lot. Of, it, I don't know much about honeysuckle. It shades out so much other stuff that it actually kills off native plants and and because it shades them out so to me oh, right that just it's it's a terrible plant i hate i i do a lot of hunting and i hate having to try and traverse through it if uh you down an animal and it goes in there um very difficult to retrieve it it just uh grows that's how people big... talk about yopon around here okay well at least that one has caffeine and i would not be mad about that because i love caffeine so <laughs> Where, where I live out here in Bastrop, uh, Yopon's everywhere. It's the predominant understory to the entire pine forest and all the other area around here. It's it's just absolutely everywhere. It grows in huge thickets. People call it invasive all the time um, just because of the way it grows. It's native, so it's not invasive. Right. Um, but it loves disturbed land. So you, you know, you cut down, you know, 100 acres. Uh, for cattle ranching and then you stop cattle ranching the first woody plant to come back is yopon or cedar and it just takes over the entire area um, which is really the first step of forest secession which is you know it's kind of healing the the land in that right. way but it's also a you know a thousand year two thousand year long process with and with humans around here it doesn't doesn't really work out that well because they're going to come in here and clear the land out or this and also this whole area is a pine forest. It pretty much evolved with burns happening, you know, yearly or every other year. You get, it gets burned so often that the underbrush is kept really, really short. And it just burns up the, the underbrush and doesn't really become 
uh, a tinderbox. So what happens with human settlement out here is we don't like our stuff burning down. Uh, so we put out all the fires that spring up, but then we never go out and cut down the underbrush that would have burnt up in the fire. Right. So uh, you end up with, with a large amount of this wildfire fuel, which is in 2011, we had a huge fire here in central Texas called the Bastrop Complex Fire. It was the sixth most damaging wildfire in U.S. history and the most damaging wildfire in Texas history. It burned 45,000 acres, 1,600 homes. Uh, it was, I was living in Austin at the time, which is about 30 miles from Bastrop, and the sky was apocalyptic gray wow. for days because of the fire. And yeah, it was, it was pretty insane. It was pretty much all Yopon fueled um, power lines apparently uh, came down, um, set off some untrimmed um, Yopon or underbrush. And then, like I said, the, this forest, you know, if you have a small fire, all those pine trees, there's barely any branches along the bottom. So when a forest fire you know, is on the forest floor, it's not a big deal. But once firefighters call it ladder fuel, you know, when you have like a 25 foot Yopon that, that it starts from the forest floor and it goes up into the canopy of the pine trees. And what's in, once it's in the canopy, it just, you know, it's, Spreads, it's over. Yeah. It just goes from all over the place. Wow. That's so that's, that's a lot of people's relationship with Yopon here in central Texas. People see it as a danger and a nuisance. I think... uh, and it's, that's how we get access to a lot of the land yeah. um, to harvest it. So actually, that's what I find fascinating though, is it's not actually the plants that are the danger and the nuisance. It's our lack of a relationship with these plants or yep. wild tending that we used to yep. do. And then also just uh, lack of knowledge in the, the, the spread of man all over the place and destruction of habitat that, that creates these problems um, that yep. otherwise, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't really exist. And then of course, nobody wants anything to burn. Like you said, they don't want to burn things. And if we did it controllably and did controlled burns, which it, it made me so happy this spring for the first time I saw a lot of parcels that the Department of Natural Resources owns um, for the first time ever in the history of my lifetime being burned. And I thought yeah. to myself, what a great thing they're doing. And so many native new plants popped up on that that hadn't been there or I haven't seen in years because of that. And it's just uh, wonderful. And if we could see more people doing that, it'd, it'd really, really help everything. There's, there's a, a the property that we've been harvesting on the longest. Uh, this lady owns about 70 acres. And then she has about um, 10 acres that we've been harvesting on because she does absolutely nothing with it. It's just wild. And there's a, there's an endangered toad out here called the Houston toad. And its last major breeding population is in Bastrop. Uh, there's about 5,000 uh, toads in the area. And uh, cutting the Yopon back really helps their habitat because the toads really need the biodiversity of like a more established forest. And whenever Yopon forms thickets, it just grows kind of as a monoculture. And then, so it you know, flowers in the spring, brings in a bunch of insects then, but then for the rest of the year, there's just nothing going on there. So the toad really, and you know, pretty much all the other species around here need a more established um, ecosystem, you know, with more biodiversity. So cutting the Yopon back helps the toad out and the property owners can get a wildlife property tax break for 
grading toad habitat. And that's another, that's another uh, way that we get access to people's property. That's uh, wonderful. They want the wild, 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 you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. So that property burned in 2011 and we've gone out there and kept on 10 acres of it, kept that yopon really, really low. And we've seen a whole bunch of pine trees basically grow up since then. There's loblolly pines. Uh, they're at 11 years old. They're probably like 15 feet tall now. So they're above where the yopon thickets kind of form. So they won't be crowded out anymore. So that area will turn back into a pine forest pretty quick. But I haven't seen any new pine trees coming up since then. Like all those pine trees all came up within a few years of that forest fire. That's interesting. So, is, you, you know, you're, you're saying you saw all those native plants come up in that area yeah. that you haven't seen burn. Yeah. I, yeah, these, these pine trees, I haven't seen any new baby pine trees come up since that fire, since within a few years of that fire. Nice. So, so it really, really, I think it, it really does need the fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, so, I mean, eventually, do you think that Yopon will disappear because it will be shaded out by the canopy of the pines or will it exist? with that that pine forest it'll exist in the pine forest just okay. not nearly as abundant yeah it 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 takes shade really well uh you give it sunlight and it goes crazy but um <laughs> it survives in the shade really really well the leaves actually get really fat and big a lot of the yopon that we harvest in areas with a lot of sunlight the leaves are really small but some of the yopon growing in the shade the leaves will be five six times the size of the yopon growing out in the sunlight so does that mean i guess you need bigger solar panels so (laughs) right for for, to metabolize that's pretty cool um so does it do you think like those leaves is it just because of volume or do they contain more caffeine or how how does that play into it from what i've read the only thing that seems to affect the caffeine level is uh, nitrogen more nitrogen is more caffeine there I believe you get more antioxidants if it's grown in the sun, if it's more sun. Okay. So let's kind of get into the whole harvesting method and, and, and how that works. I mean, are you cutting it, handpicking? What, what are the methods and methods of take? We, so we, when we go out and harvest by ourselves, uh, we basically, I mean, we do it. So we, sometimes we go out and harvest with a group called the Allen Creek Wildlife Management Association. Texas is kind of divided up into separate areas of these private property. The wildlife management associations are made up of private property owners in certain areas. And this, the area that we work with the most is the Allen Creek Wildlife Management Association. Most of them manage their properties for Houston toad habitat so that they can get the wildlife uh, tax break for that. And when we work with them, they have these weekly, or I'm sorry, monthly work groups where they get together with neighbors and everybody comes to one place and they cut the yopon down to the ground and they uh, actually spray the stumps with a mixture of diesel and Roundup or Remedy, diesel and Remedy, I believe, Uh, herbicide. Uh, It's really the only way you're going to kill yopon unless you dig it up by the root. Um, We don't do that when we harvest for ourselves, but that is the way, you know, the park rangers and the biologists and you know the people that really study it that's the way they say to do it if you want to you know get rid of it they don't you know just broadcast spray it they have yeah. little hand sprayers and they after they cut the stump they just spray just the just the you know the stump 
it's not something I really like. No, but, me neither. You know, uh, in fact, um, <laughs> today my mother-in-law just commented on the fact that uh, she said uh, something to my wife about, well, Luke's not exactly one to spray, is he? Uh, they were talking about a little bit of poison ivy that was in the yard. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, not if I not if I don't have to. Um, yeah. I, I, I see benefits at some point, but you also have to weigh the cost, you know, of that. And better somebody else spraying than me or you or um, getting exposed to those chemicals because we all know what they're capable of. Uh Years and years and millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars of lawsuits paid out, um, just go to show uh, the effect that they have on humans. And I wish they would quit putting it on our food um, as well. But, uh, you know, until people really actually wake up and realize the harm. um, And I've got a lot of honeysuckle on my property and I'm trying to uh, reduce it. And one of my friends actually told me that... uh, Copper nails actually work rather effectively. He said, yes, it takes, you know, three times longer um, to do that. But if you come back the next year uh, after you put a bunch of copper nails in it, that uh, it'll actually die off at the root and you have to pull it out. He said at some point it almost looks like it's going to come back. And then if you give it time, it will it will die off. But obviously nobody wants to wait that long. But uh, I just I I wish they would understand that. Yeah, I wish they would understand that and uh, realize the negative effects they're doing as well. But at least they're not broadcast spreading it and they are localizing it. But yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, enough of my soapbox. You know what I've done before? I had I had to cut down two magnolia trees in my front yard that were planted underneath the power line and they the previous homeowner it was just a mess cut the magnolia trees down and then drilled the stumps and then filled them full of oyster mushroom mycelium i love that <laughs> and they those stumps were gone real quick yeah i didn't get any oyster mushrooms out of my i did see the oyster mushroom starting to pan and grow but the mycelium tore up the tore up the stump pretty that, good that's awesome that's awesome i've actually got a downed cottonwood that if if the mycelium doesn't eat it all before I get to it, I really one day want to actually make uh, like a dugout canoe out of it. I think that would be so cool. Oh, that would be sweet. But uh, who knows? At least I'm getting oyster mushrooms off of it, so I can't really complain too much. But um, I, I have done the same thing with the uh, lion's mane on uh, uh, hackberry before. And, okay. and it does grow. Um, I ended up grinding the stump because – I didn't want to hit it with a tire where it was at. I felt like that was a a real thing, but uh, I did get one season and I saw it start to colonize, but I never got anything out of it. But um, yeah, that's pretty cool though. So when you're, when you're harvesting with them, you're taking out like mass quantities, entire bushes um, is the only, the leaf is what's utilized though. Right? Yes. Well, leaves and the tiniest little twigs. Okay. we, We try to get as many twigs out and make it as just all leafy but the the tiny twigs are good too if we had a really good grinder that could grind everything up better i would probably use more of the, the smaller twigs too okay and then when but, you go um, other properties you guys actually hand harvest uh we we cut we mostly cut to the ground then too because you know we're we're trying to reduce the amount of yopon out there to let other native plants okay you know kind of compete against it but we cut it to the ground. We don't spray it because I'm happy to come back out there and harvest it again. Right, right. <laughs> but basically, on the other properties, we just basically maintain it for them um, until the overstory gets tall enough, which 
we have one plate one property now where that's actually starting to happen which is pretty cool all right no that okay so then you guys do that and then there's like uh i mean how many pounds are we talking that you guys utilize in a year so i i went out and harvested with two other people on friday and we get out there as early as we can we're having a heat wave here in texas it was 103 <laughs> that day so we uh got out of here at the crack of dawn got out to the field and harvested till about 2 30 i mean i'm sorry 12 30 so basically 7 to 12 30 and then uh, headed home or back to the warehouse and that was about after we process it all, it'll probably be about 60 pounds. Okay. And three people in five hours. So what do you it's need to, to make a batch? I mean, what, what are you talking as far as volume to make? Like, are you making large batches? Is it small scale? Uh, what are you guys doing with that? So we we're selling at farmer's markets. We're in all the Austin Whole Foods here and the, you know, the Weasville locations in Austin. We sell online. Um, how much do we produce? I don't know. I'm guessing about 120 pounds a month, I would say. It's not crazy, um, but it's, it's quite a bit of work um, to do that. Pounds or gallons are you talking? Of pounds. Tea? Okay, pounds. Of pounds. So, pounds. So you weigh out the tea then, or is that? We sell it in loose leaf and we sell it in tea okay. bags. Okay. Um, we also do uh, these tea concentrates that we make from from the yopon, but actually, like just straight up leaf weight about 120 pounds a month. Okay. And then we turn it into tea bags and or package it. We do all that in house here too, instead of sending it off. We have our own tea bag machine here. It's the cheapest kind of tea bag machine you can get. Um, okay. Those things get really expensive. They're like Ferraris. Right. <laughs> right. I can imagine. Um, I do a little bit of coffee roasting and stuff. So, I mean, I, I know how quickly things can get out of hand and I still just use my be more and that's good enough. Cause I don't, and then I, that's electrically anyway. And then I built my own, it's out of a, uh, out of a grill that, uh, occasionally I use, but honestly, oh, right on. I, I use the electric one just cause it's way more convenient. I don't roast in the summertime though. Cause just things get too hot with electric. So. I tend to roast them. Everything, everything we've done is pretty much uh, DIY here. Okay. Because there's no, there's no Yopon industry, so we had to figure out how to do everything. Now, so we, yeah, we. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say we, um, so we we cut the branches out, you know, out in the wild, fill up truck trailer, bring it back to the warehouse, and we have these ten foot by ten foot drying tables, and then we just pile it on top of these drying tables. Then there's a tarp underneath the drying table to catch any leaves that fall down. And then depending on temperature or temperature and humidity, uh, you know, however many, however long that takes, the leaves get pretty dry. And then you can just whack on that whole pile of sticks and the leaves fall down into tarp, which makes it a lot easier than hand picking. And they're also dried at that point. And then we've got some sifters that we built that we use this. It's actually an aggregate shaking machine that, that we repurposed just to shake these uh, screens full of Yopon to basically separate any, any dust or dirt, and then also sifting out sticks and stuff like that. And then we have to go through it by hand again. And then we roast it in convection oven, then we grind it, and then we either put it in tea bags in house or package it in house. Uh, we also make all our concentrates in house. So when, uh, 
when does it have to be roasted or is it something that can be drank green does it take like that roasting process in order to activate the the chemicals in it that give it the caffeine or or no no it's not about activation yopon has a really waxy uh, cuticle and the, out, the outside of the okay. leaf cuticle is really really waxy it's, it's so dry here it's uh it really like just likes to hold on to its water it's you know really hydrophobic if you don't roast it at all it doesn't steep that well uh, once you roast it a little bit it breaks down that outer, outer cuticle um the native americans like it, whatever everything i've read about it says that they roasted it till it was really dark to break down that outer waxy cuticle and then they would uh make tea out of it then i assume they also did lighter roasts and darker roasts you know everybody has this kind of idea that all native americans had were the same <laughs> homogenous culture right. instead of being like all the different countries of Europe, you know, with different cuisines and, you know, ways of doing things based on where you lived. Um, but yeah, so we do a light roast and a dark roast out of it uh, just to break down the outer cuticle. There are other companies that are doing just a straight green dried one. It's fine. What 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 flavor? I, I hate. I always hate having to compare something to something else, right? It's just. It's like, well, what does milkweed taste like, right? Well, milkweed tastes like milkweed, but if you had to compare it, you could say, oh, it's a mix between green beans, asparagus, and maybe they had a baby with broccoli. You know what I mean? But I, I actually, I always tell people that the light roast, the lightly roast. So it's a it's a relative yerba mate. Okay. And guayusa. I'm not sure if you know about yerba mate. It's a poly from South America. Yeah. Wildly popular. I've had a little bit of yerba mate. Most of the time they add like mint to it or something else. But yeah. um, Yeah. So I don't really know the actual profile of it, but I can kind of get an idea of that like milder tea taste. Um, So the yopon is really low in tannins, has a lot less tannins than, than, than tea does. So it doesn't have as much of that bite at the end. Uh, it can get bitter just because of, you know, caffeine and theobromine are bitter alkaloids. But uh, the the light roast tastes a lot like a green tea, like a really smooth green tea that's really low in tannins. And the dark roast tastes a lot closer to a black tea, um, kind of with whiskey, oaky whiskey barrel flavor to it. Oh, like I a love roasty, that. <laughs> like a oaky kind of smoky whiskey barrel flavor. I like that. I like that. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I sell a lot more. So I do farmer's markets every Sunday here in Austin and sell a lot of you up on there. What I sell most of at the farmer's market is the light roast. It's just really smooth, easy to drink. And what I sell to most of the restaurants around here, the fancy restaurants that like to source locally and stuff is all, is all dark roast. They only buy dark roast, which okay. I, I just think it's, I think it's a hilarious you know, like the fancy restaurants buy this, the farmer's market people, all they buy is the light roast. Interesting different dynamic structure. there. From, yeah. I think they, they use it in recipes and stuff that dark roast has more oomph to it that can cut through other flavors and you can mix it in other things. Yeah. No, that's cool. So what's the caffeine content like versus uh, coffee? I mean, and I know that's varying, but like I think the industry standard is around like 40 to 65 milligrams of caffeine per eight ounce cup of coffee, uh, depending on so roast it, and whatever. It all depends on how you make it, really. Okay. Um, so by weight, coffee is about 1.1% caffeine by weight. 
Yopon is about 0.85% caffeine by weight. And what surprises a lot of people is that actual tea is three times as strong as coffee by weight. Tea is three and a half percent caffeine, Yeah, but it has so many tannins in it and just that you, so whenever you're making a cup of coffee, you have a tablespoon of coffee that's finely ground, a whole lot of weight. You make a cup of tea. It's usually just, you know, some like rolled up flowers, or, you know, full, <laughs> rolled up leaves and with not very much surface area. And it's like a teaspoon of it. And it's, you know, use lower temperature water, which doesn't extract as much caffeine. Uh, if you brewed tea like coffee, where you ground it up as fine as coffee and use the same weight of it, and you brew it at the same temperature for the same time, it would be about three times as strong as coffee and probably too bitter to drink because of the, the tannins. Hmm. Your uh, Yopon is so low in tannins, you can just add more leaf matter into it. So you can brew Yopon at a teaspoon per cup and it's about the strength of a green tea uh, because we actually grind the leaves down a little bit more. So it has more surface area than, than tea. And we brew it at like near boiling or this is the way I do it. I mean, you right. can do it however you want, There's, which is the fun thing about Yopon is that the whole culture about it's been lost. So no one can tell you you're doing it wrong. That's... Uh, so you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> okay. So, so... <laughs> at a teaspoon, a teaspoon per cup, um, it's about a green tea or you can, you know, load up you know six tablespoons in a french press and brew it like coffee and it's caffeinated like coffee so it's pretty variable and then you also get the theobromine kick too which is nice because theobromines it's longer lasting than caffeine but not as strong so once that caffeine starts wearing off um and this is anecdotal i think the the theobromine the is still kicking around about up there yeah. so instead of just dropping you on your butt it kind of lets you down a little more gentle let me down easy yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's my story i'm sticking to it yeah no i I totally get it um because i'm not gonna lie um a lot of people talk about it but that that caffeine addiction that uh that high that people don't realize it actually gives you i realize it and i know it but i still love it and i want to um, you know, and the way I make my coffee, my dad doesn't want it or, you know, other people don't like it. Uh, some people tell me they actually feel their temples have a pulse, um, <laughs> depending on what my roast is and, and, you know, how, yeah. how I actually make it. Um, I'm going to be honest, one of my favorite ways, uh, lately, especially, um, when I'm out in the field or traveling or something is I take an arrow press with me, which is one of the coolest uh, devices mm-hmm. ever for making a cup of coffee. And I have to say it's probably one of the smoothest tasting cups, no matter what the coffee is from that device. So if Yopan is really that smooth, uh, chances are I'm going to load it up. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to take it to a whole new level. <laughs> you can, you can make it pretty strong. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So when you make your concentrates, um, I mean, are those fairly strong or is it just like a, like a nice tea? I saw another it's, day, uh, you guys did a social media thing and it was a poll to see like, what should we make next? And I think it was like 97% of the people said peach or something like that, <laughs> which I totally we, voted for that too. It just seems like a great combination. We, we do. We, yeah. 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 Um, the concentrates are, they're about green tea strength. Uh, they're you use them basically like a cold brew coffee kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're more like green tea strength. I've been working on a, a Yopon soda. It tastes like a, a smoky Coca Cola. 
um, that'll be a lot uh, stronger. And, and the only ingredients are dark roast geopon, some uh, vitamin C, ascorbic acid, to bring the pH down and give that that tang, and then cane sugar and and then carbonate it. And it's kind of crazy. Um, those three ingredients, uh, it tastes like Coca Cola, but with this smoky flavor to it. It's really good. It sounds amazing, and it makes me want one. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it, so is that like mescalic? Do you guys sell that? So that stuff, like the limited stuff that you're making, is that pretty much like farmers markets, or is that online too? The concentrates are online. Uh, we roll flavors out at the farmers markets to test them out. Um, okay. It's really great. I love doing the farmers market. It's uh, it's actually profitable and marketing at the same time, which is a, a great combo. And we get to talk to customers and tell people all about it. And people are excited to hear about it. And then you also get to, you know, give people samples. We give out so many samples every weekend just to try out, see what people like. I think I'm going to get a, so when are these farmer's markets every Saturday throughout the summer or what? Every Sunday, 10 to 2. Sunday, 10 to, every two. Sunday, 10 to 2. Looks like I'm going to get some cheapo airfare here. Get a Southwest flight. <laughs> uh, go try some samples when I see you guys roll something out that I really want to try. Oh, Austin's <laughs> a fun place. Yeah. No, I, I used to come to Austin. But, uh, um, yeah. Uh, so, how did Lost Pines start? Like, where did name come from? How did you guys meet and say, hey, let's start this company where we actually, let's let's make some Yopan tea, you know? So, uh, my buddy John and uh, my friend Heidi and I, we we're all really into forging. We did a lot of forging um, for dewberries out here and also Mustang grapes out here. And I'd always been in, you know, I'd been thinking about Yopan for, for quite a while. When I first learned about it, I was actually kind of shocked that we had a caffeinated plant here in central Texas and nobody was really doing anything with it at the time. And I mean, caffeine is the most popular drug in the world. There's a trillion <laughs> servings of caffeine per year. And <laughs> there was no native North American caffeinated plant. Uh, you can't grow coffee in North America, really. Well, not in the United States. Right. Uh, you can't. I mean, there's some tea plantations in, in the United States. They don't, I don't know how profitable they are. It's not a huge industry here or, you know, they don't seem to grow very well here. But Yopon is just absolutely everywhere. So at first I thought it must taste awful because nobody was doing anything with it. So then I went and, you know, harvested some and roasted some the way I heard people used to do it. And I thought it was delicious and I would, talk to you know friends all the time about like hey there's this thing you know it'd be a great business idea and really i was just looking for somebody to do it with me i guess and then john and heidi you know i made them some yopon tea i was talking to them about it and they're like yeah let's let's do this you know and then and then there was all this other extra goodness that happened you know just that uh you know the, the abundance of yopon here it's an evergreen so we can harvest year round. Uh, it's a nuisance to so many people. So clearing it out, you know, people are happy to get rid of it. And we're also helping people do it. Um, you know, getting rid of it helps with forest fire prevention. And then, you know, we found out about the Houston toad and how like it's, you know, actually harvesting from their habitat helps too. 
so just like all these things just kind of came together and it was like this this is great um and that's you know it was all it was all kind of luck honestly yeah no that sounds i mean it's wonderful the fact that the company is actually doing something beneficial and at the same time creating a great product i mean that's that's the best of both worlds it's something if if anybody wants to get behind something that's something to get behind you know i mean it it serves a great purpose right restoring habitat uh getting caffeine out of it good tasting drinks i mean what more does a person want than to be able to forage or know and the the intimacy you guys have with that product as well i mean the fact that you're out there you're you're the ones processing and it's not like you're sourcing it from someone else or coming in on cargo ships or you know it's a it's a local native thing that that everyone everyone's benefiting from it, it that's pretty cool to see for sure i like i like that um you know i followed you guys for a while on social media and actually just kind of had no idea just watched it and i was like oh that's really cool you know but being able to talk to you and hear that story it's it's pretty fascinating um but let's kind of talk about some of the other foraging stuff i mean how long ago did that start where did that come from to kind of get like a a feel for you know your passion for for all of that um i don't know uh i was in scouts as a kid um my my mom and dad got divorced when i was when i was little and he was a soldier and lived in germany and i was living in the united states with my mom it's actually kind of funny she's german he's american (laughs) but um he bought me a subscription to national geographic so i got you know a national geographic book every every month and you know it's all about animals and stuff I, i think that's really got my you know, love the natural world and being in scouts, love to do a lot of canoeing and camping and stuff like that. Um, foraging, I came kind of later on in life though, after I really got into gardening and then learning about gardening in central Texas. Um, so they've got, you know, the USDA gardening zones. I'm sure a lot of y'all are familiar with, you know, they've got like, you know, I don't know where it starts, but it's like, two through 12 or whatever in central texas we're in 8b and then there's the um the sunset the sunset something gardening zone which is which is way more detailed where it takes a whole lot more variables into consideration i think the usda gardening zone only takes wintered low temperatures in into consideration i think that's the biggest thing the the sunset gardening zone calendar takes way more things into consideration and so central texas is like a 36a and we're the only 36a in the entire country <laughs> uh, yeah. gardening here in central texas it's weird the um, whole country of texas is very special and unique um versus the unique. rest of the state it, it's it's very interesting to see just how everything is or the fact that you know when people think of texas they think of like uh houston or something like that and it's just super humid and you're getting that like coastal humidity and even though there's breezes you can't feel it um you know but you're high enough up in the hill country to where those breezes actually carry away that humidity and it's not bad you know it's 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 interesting and some of the lakes and different things that they have there and and just the marble deposits and it it's it's fascinating to me I like that country. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It's really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, I but mean, yeah, like, um, 
trying to garden in central Texas um, and then uh, basically being a lazy gardener and thinking, well, what grows natively really around, natively around here that produces something that I can put in the ground and not have to spend all this time on it because there's things everywhere. So I got a Native American ethnobotany book and just to see what people grew around here. And that's really how I found about Yopon is looking through this book and that's caffeine. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't love caffeine? I love caffeine. I love it. It was like, what? A caffeinated plant? This is ridiculous. Sometimes I even go through a caffeine cleanse. I will actually yep. take myself into a detox mode to where I will go a week or two without caffeine just so I can feel that euphoria again when I have it. You know, that wonderful <laughs> feeling of that first cup in the morning and you're like, yes, love this. <laughs> Maybe I've got an addictive personality. I don't know. We're not going to go into that, but uh, <laughs> it's it's the most popular drug in the world. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so no, that's awesome. Um, but like, so what what does foraging look like for you? I mean, is it still as prevalent now that you're super busy doing the 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 yopon stuff? Or honestly, I don't get to do nearly as much of it. Um, I still yeah. like to pick dewberries when I'm out in the field and eat them right there on the spot. Yeah. Um, uh play been playing around with uh loblolly pine needles to make tea with it's pretty good i just bought a property here in bastrop uh, and it's three and a half acres so i get to play around with the stuff out here without having to you know trumps around the too far away right but yeah more it's a lot more yopon based trying to keep the company going yeah um, it's a lot of work I imagine. I can imagine. We haven't had any investors or anything. I mean, we haven't we haven't tried to get any investors. We've had people offer, but we've always tried to keep everything to ourselves. To so we have total control of everything. Do it with our vision instead of. I like that. I like I like the fact yeah. that you know honestly, uh, there may be a struggle at some point. There may be things hurdles that you have to overcome, but in the end, one that makes you a better business person and a lot stronger coming out uh, to face other problems in the future and the fact that um you still maintain control of everything um you know maybe at some point you know it gets to a point to where you can actually back away and look at it from a different lens but but being able to foster something build it and build it up i i love that i I love doing it myself this podcast everything it's been on my own it's it's a huge learning curve and there's struggles and yes i could have done things differently but without those struggles, I never would have learned all of the things I've learned along the way that make me that much smarter in the end. So I'm with you on that one. I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, but it makes this, it go a little slower, but it's great. Yeah. And that's fine. You appreciate it along the way. Yeah. Without that struggle, definitely, you know, you'll appreciate it more with that struggle than without it. Um, also, if we would have, if we would have gotten investor money in the beginning, I, so much money would have just been wasted. You know, I got to make a whole bunch of mistakes, uh, you know, smaller mistakes along the way instead of making big mistakes. Right. Yeah. So is there anything in particular that you always look forward to foraging that you still get out and do uh, in Texas? I'm always kind of curious because um, any and all the times I've been in Texas, I've never really had a chance to go foraging or do any of that. And I did not know as many plants as I know now. So uh, it always makes me curious to what actually is there versus, you know, my little climate that I'm 
used to my my home foraging base if you will right so i've done a lot of kind of urban foraging i lived uh, in austin for a long time and did a lot of bike riding around everywhere when you're riding your bike you really get to look at everything a lot more and uh, lots of uh, wild grapes texas is actually home to things like 50, something ridiculous i mean fact check me on this uh 50 for 50% of the grape species of the world or something like that are oh. <laughs> from Texas. Just none of the really good table wine grapes. Right. You know? Um, but, um, you know, I find oyster mushrooms here, reishi mushrooms all, all the time. Um, I found chanterelles. They're pretty rare. Apparently you can find morels here even, which I've, yeah. I've never seen one here, but you can find them here. I wonder if that's a correlation to the burns that used to happen versus now. Um, it, oh, and the morels. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I, I know here you find them on um, on sloped land under cedar near water, like up from a creek along a slope under some cedar. You'll find morels. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the hints I've gotten here. Yeah, um, <laughs> native great native um, blackberries. Uh, we have a plant called dewberry here. We call them dewberries. They're just trailing blackberries. They're delicious. Yeah. Um, a lot of loquats in town. Some people just planting loquat trees everywhere. Um, people call them Japanese plums too. Right. Mexican plum grows here. They taste like um, they're about the size of a cherry. They look like cherries, but they're tiny little plums. They're delicious. Interesting. Yeah, I've always wondered, and I find it fascinating that a lot of the, of the things we have here, people don't have in other climates, and then um, just vice versa. You guys probably have all kinds of native plants that uh i've never encountered or at least yeah pecans pecans everywhere yeah oh man that's so cool i mean we've got pecans in illinois but nothing like texas and i how i mean are a lot of them native or is it uh the both well so i've lived in two neighborhoods so i've probably spent half of my life living under pecan trees so I've lived in two areas for a really long time that used to be pecan plantations that became neighborhoods. So you've got a mixture of like paper shell pecan trees that are like old, old leftover pecan trees. And then also the, you know, the, the trees that grow up from their, from their pecans turning back into native pecan trees, kind of like the way apple trees go, yeah. go wild when they come back from seed. Yeah, no, that's cool. But the the native ones are delicious. Um, I used to live next to a place called LeBlancs, and they would trade you out the native ones for the paper shell ones because they like to use the native ones for making pecan pie because they're more oily. Oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. There's a pecan pie. yeah. There's a little uh, diner um, called the Blue Bonnet Cafe that uh, <laughs> I used to love going to and getting pecan pie and. Uh, that that's that's awesome and they were always you know bragged about texas pecans you got to have the texas yep. pecans and the pecan pie and i i, I yep. wonder to this day because it doesn't taste anything like a lot of the other pies that i've tasted that if maybe it was the you know the native ones that they were utilizing for that pie i don't know but they uh, might yeah so that's awesome it's been great like talking to you about all of these things if somebody wants to uh find you and find you on social media uh follow the company maybe purchase some things um where can they find all of that and do all of that so our 
social media handle on everything is Lost Pines Yopon. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Nice. Uh, also, uh, lostpinesyopont.com for our website. And we're on Amazon too. But You're on Amazon? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. And then also, if you live in Texas, you can go to Whole Foods. Go to the farmer's market. Or the, or the yeah, Whole Foods. Okay. Now you're saying it's all of Texas that you're in, or is it? Just- no, no, no. The Whole Foods. I'm sorry. The Whole Foods is just Austin for now. Okay. Which is still seven, awesome, seven, right? Seven Austin Whole Foods. That's yeah, that's it's great. Amazing. It's great. Yeah. That's great. that's how it starts until somebody starts requesting it for another store, and yep. there it goes. So that's we, really we cool. have to go do demos. It's you know everybody thinks like oh you get into some place like Whole Foods and all of a sudden you're selling a bunch of product, but you know it, our tea is on the second to bottom shelf. um you know nobody knows what it is so we have to go in there and do demos and you have to give out samples and be like hey have you tried yopon tea before like just yeah yeah and it's fun talking to people about it too so it's not you know right and i can tell you definitely have a passion for it so it's not like it's 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 hard to talk about it right it's something so cool it's easy like if somebody starts mentions foraging to me boy they just i I might talk their ear off you know whatever uh or hunting or whatever um, so I totally get that. Um, but so you, uh, people don't realize how much it costs or big brands pay to get that prime space, the retail space in a store or shelf space. And lately on TikTok, there's a dude, I don't remember what his name is, but so I've been watching his videos and he'll actually break down brands and who owns those brands. And uh-huh. it, you could eliminate 99% of on all retail shelves, everything as far as the grocery store or like target aisles of shampoo aisles and toothpaste, everything that's owned by these mega con- conglomerates or mega corps by themselves. So awesome local product in there. Uh, and you like caffeine, you like tea, you're like me. Check it out, man. That's so cool. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it and educating me because for a long time I've been curious. I didn't really know and it's great to know now and I'm definitely going to have to I'm definitely going to have to start start drinking some Yopan every once in a while and uh yeah, I might uh just pack that that press as much as I can and see what comes out of it. So Sounds good. Make it make it strong. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for uh coming on and talking to us. It's it's been been fun. Cool. Have a good one. Appreciate it. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.